Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Tiffany Bova is the chief growth evangelist at Salesforce and the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Growth IQ. Get smarter about the choices that will make or break your business. I've gotten to interact with Tiffany now several times. Her work both pushes the boundaries and is at the same time practical. So I'm thrilled we got a chance to sit down to talk. Tiffany has been named to the latest Thinkers 50 list of the world's top management thinkers and is a welcome guest on Bloomberg, BNN, Cheddar, MSNBC, and Yahoo Finance, among others. She also contributes her thinking to publications including Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Quora, Thrive, among others. She is a change maker whose thought-provoking and forward-thinking insights have made her a frequent guest on a variety of industry-leading podcasts and live broadcasts. She's also a host of her own podcast, What's Next with Tiffany Bova, an iTunes all-time business and management bestseller and a top sales podcast according to Top Sales Magazine. Tiffany has interviewed a growing number of exceptional humans, including Ariana Huffington, Dan Pink, Seth Godin, and Tom Peters. She's also considered a top Twitter influencer in business growth, customer experience, digital transformation, the future of work, and sales. She was named one of Inc. Magazine's 37 sales experts you need to follow on Twitter, a LinkedIn top sales expert to follow in 2018, 19, and 20, a top 100 woman in tech. In this episode, she shares what it takes to increase your growth IQ, why it's critical today to be a master asker, and why after deeply studying product and sales strategies, she is now turning her attention to employees. Ladies and gentlemen, Tiffany Bova. Tiffany, thank you so much for being here with us. I know you're busy, and thanks for taking the time to share some of your insights. Of course, no place I'd rather be. So I'd like us to get to know you a little bit personally. So I'm going to ask you to complete a sentence for me. If you really know me, you know that. I'm from Hawaii. I was born and raised in Hawaii, actually. So I left Hawaii to go to the mainland, which is what we call the continental US, when I went to college. And then I went back and then finally started to move part-time to Southern California in my 30s. It came up recently that Salesforce has as a value some kind of Hawaiian word. What's that? It's Ohana, which means family. And so Mark Benioff, his story is that he got the idea for Salesforce while he was swimming with dolphins in Hawaii. He has a huge affinity for the island, has a home on the big island, and we do a lot of executive retreats there, et cetera. And so he called it the Ohana. It really is just to constitute family. Beautiful. One other question that I ask all of my guests, and these are all strategy experts and I never get the same answer, which is what is your definition of strategy? Oh, that's such a great question because literally I just tweeted this this morning and I said, culture eats strategy for breakfast or, which of course, a la Peter Drucker, right? Or talent eats strategy for breakfast. What do you think it is? And so people were answering, right? And they might think they know that it is a strategy. It's not really a strategy, right? Or it doesn't have anything behind it. And for me, I sort of look at it like you want to get your employees and your broader shareholder community, your partners, you know, and those that you work with in your supply chain or whatever that might be, 
to understand what your true north is. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? What's the purpose of the business? And you could argue it's capitalism or it's purpose over profit. I mean, there's lots of ways we could take that. But really, if people understand, look, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to solve this big problem, or we're trying to offer this at a better price to customers. We're trying to create an entirely new market. That strategy of where you're trying to go gets caught in the execution trap, right? Where people then aren't able to execute against it, or they don't know how their role on a daily basis plays a part in being able to successfully attain and achieve that strategy. I love that you're going there. And I know that's a topic that you've been studying quite a bit lately, and we're going to get into that. But I'd like to start off with Growth IQ, which I think is what you're most well known for, at least right now. Can you just tell us what does that mean? What are some of the paths to growth? Yeah. Prior to joining Salesforce, I've been here about five and a half years. I was a research fellow at Gartner covering sales transformation, go-to-market transformation, as well as indirect channel strategies. And so I worked with probably the world's 50 largest technology companies and how can they move from a predominantly on-premise hardware or software related business to the cloud. Those brands would then stand up a cloud business. And then how do we even create a partner ecosystem to bring those products and services to market? What kind of salespeople do we need? What kind of organizational structure, right? It was all about the mechanics of being able to deliver growth in the business. Over the course of that, I would take probably 500 or so inquiry calls a year from small startups all the way to the you know largest one tech company in the world. And I realized that the questions were fairly common and fairly similar. And so how could I scale that advice? I couldn't do it on a one-to-one phone call 500 times a year and then 5,000 times you know, over the course of the decade. So Growth IQ was a culmination of two things. One, I was a practitioner running sales, marketing, and customer service for almost 15 years in tech. Then I was advising for a decade. And you put those two things together, gave a really unique perspective. Like that question about strategy, if I hadn't had real life experience of trying to develop a strategy, roll out a strategy, execute against a strategy, fail... <laughs> succeed, right? And adjust. Like I might have given a very academic answer, but for me, it's about the what and the why and the how. So what I tried to do was actually modernize these strategies as related to growth that had been out there for the past 50 or 60 years. I'm just going to pick the Ansoff matrix. Sell more of your existing product to your existing customer, sell a new product to your existing customer, sell a new product to your, you know, new customer, a new product to existing, right? That sort of two by two. And I said, still very valid and valuable today, right? But when he wrote that, if you wanted to launch a new product, it's like, well, I have to build an R&D facility and I have to build a supply chain and I have to you know, all these things. And one of the examples in the book I use is Kylie Jenner. And that's a great example of it. And regardless of whether you think she made it to a billion or half a billion, like let's not argue over the details. We just know she got very large from a revenue standpoint in a short two-year burst with 12 employees. And so what was it? She was introducing products really, really quickly. She didn't have an R&D facility. She partnered. She didn't have a supply chain. She partnered. She had 300 million followers on social media, right? Which gave her this scale to direct to consumer in a way we probably had never seen before. And so I wanted to modernize these strategies that have been used by brands for a long time using items such as cloud, big data, social, mobile, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, all of the things that now the buzzwords that everyone's using has not necessarily changed the goal, right? The job to be done remains constant. The solution to solve that job is what changes and innovates over time. So the job to be done was growth. The solution to get to growth is very, very different. That was really the genesis for Growth IQ. And I also believed that growth is a thinking game and you might not be able to outspend your competition or out-innovate your competition, but you can outthink your competition and get much smarter and intentional about how you grow. 
So what's something that appears on your paths to growth that in the older mindset might not have been included? Coopetition is one that I think has gotten a lot more play in the last couple of years since I wrote the book. And that is really working with someone who you might have viewed historically as a competitor in some way. So the examples that I give in the book is you could say Amazon opening a pop-up in Kohl's, that's a competitor, but there was synergy between the two of them. So it was kind of coopetition. Well, if I can, as a Kohl's, get an Amazon customer in to either return or pick up something, they might shop in my store and now they might come here for something else. So I'd already lost the business to Amazon. But if I can introduce them to who we are and what we do, is that possible? You see it in the automotive industry, especially now, right around electric vehicles and batteries and all of that. Like, can we just share the technology? Think USB. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, USB is consistent. And so that had to happen with manufacturers of technology, whether it be Dell and IBM and, you know, let's really date this, Gateway Computers and Compaq and Toshiba and NEC, like it is USB. Cars, USB. Planes, USB, right? It isn't you have to carry 10 things. There's only really one technology provider that decides to not do it the same, you know, and have their own sort of way of doing it. But still USB, it's just on the other side, it's something you So how do you, in a competition standpoint, say, what is that USB we all can use that allows us to up-level and also provide a better experience for customers and just make it easier on the entire industry and supply chain? And so I feel like that is one that we definitely have seen during this pandemic, you know, healthcare providers, drug manufacturers working together to solve this pandemic, whether it be a vaccination, whether it be testing, working together would not happen unless there was some catalyst to force it together. So electric vehicles might be one, pandemic might be one, transportation, air travel, what we're learning now with Blue Origin and Virgin and what's happening in space, like how do we apply that? And so I think competition is one that is an interesting area that more and more companies are starting to to explore. It's interesting that you bring that up because just yesterday I was sitting down with a technologist who's a huge Salesforce fan. And I asked him, isn't Salesforce a CRM platform? And he said, no, Salesforce is much more. There's a lot built on your technology. Could you try to characterize for us what Salesforce really is? Yeah. So there's a couple things, you know, if you think about CRM and they're all sort of the same size letters, let's make the R really big. And it was really about relationship. So it could be relationship from a sales perspective, a marketing perspective, a service perspective, and a commerce perspective. We've rounded that out in really trying to provide this single source of truth around that customer experience and the customer's ability to be successful using whatever it is you've sold to them, right? Whatever it is they're doing. We also have the very vital vibrant partner ecosystem on our app exchange that have built sometimes industry verticalization or capabilities that Salesforce doesn't have in order to offer that up to our customer base to say, hey, listen, you know, you are a realtor, you need connection into the MLS, you need this, you need that, whatever it might be. And do we have a real estate vertical? We don't, but our partner ecosystem has developed one. So kind of put the wrapper around our technology to give that industry and it could be region, segment, size, or capability in that way. But we also have the ability for people to literally develop on the Salesforce platform. We have Heroku and we have the Salesforce platform where they can go from scratch, like financial force. We're going to build an entire financial product on the Salesforce stack so that we take advantage of all those investments. And then now we've made it for the financial community. I think that it's two sides. I mean, the ecosystem,
system is so vast and so strong and so powerful. And it's also an amazing culture, going back to that ohana of what we call trailblazers of companies and people who are out there pushing the envelope on innovation and bringing really amazing solutions to market that we never imagined would happen, you know, probably in and around our technology, but it's been incredible to see. That's fascinating. I have to study the business model more because I want to understand what it is. I understand it's not even really a competitor to Amazon Web Services or to Azure's Microsoft's product. It's really kind of a cooperative part of a broader ecosystem or something like that. So you certainly are an expert on business growth. What made you decide to focus on that? Oh, this is a fun question. You know, I do not have my MBA. I'm probably one of the few in the thinkers 50 list that doesn't have one. But I would say that everything I learned about business, I learned at the carnival, literally. And when I say that, I want you to like imagine roller coasters and Ferris wheels and games. And I'm going to time this sort of early 80s. I was in high school. My best friend's parents owned the carnival in Hawaii and her grandfather actually created it in 1905 in Hawaii. And it's been 120 year business at this point. Her mom ran these indoor arcades and she was one of the very first female presidents for YPO. So I could see what I wanted to be, right? I was being kind of raised and groomed by these two people that were the parents of my best friend, right? I called them, really called them my second mom and dad without question. And I'll give you one story. So I was opening an indoor arcade in Maui, which is one of the Hawaiian islands. And back in 91, 92, and it was a 15,000 square foot space. And it was going to be full of video games. It would have had a little bit of pizza, cotton candy, a little snack bar, you know, and then all the games. And I want you to think like skee-ball, teddy bears, video games. This is long before we had all this on our phone or on our tablet or on our TV right? Or there was no gaming consoles at the time. I think Mario Brothers might have just come out and Nintendo might have been around. And we were worried about Nintendo. Imagine what's happened since. But we were opening the store and she flew in and had my whole staff lined up. You know, I'm 22, maybe. And she walks in and wanted to say thank you to everybody and gets to me. Now, this indoor arcade, we wanted it to feel like a carnival tent. So if you can imagine a big top tent with all the lights in it. So in this arcade, when you're standing there, it's like you're in a big top tent thinking about carnival. She stands in front of me and she just looks at me and points up. And I go, okay, right? Like, woohoo, you're number one. Great job. Like, I'm not sure what that means. And it was her index finger, <laughs> just, just in case, right? It was her index finger. So pointing up and she walks away and I let my eyes gaze up. Now, mind you, there was probably 15,000 light bulbs on the roof of this big top tent. One bulb was out. One bulb, one bulb. That taught me a lesson. And I tell this story all the time because I'm sure all of you listening, you've driven down the street, you've seen a big, expensive, high-end brand with a letter out in their name. And what does that say? Your people don't care enough. You don't care enough about your brand. Like that says something. And so it taught me so much, right? It's the little things. It's the combination of it. Didn't matter how beautiful the inside looked. Didn't matter how polished we were, how clean it was. If the light bulbs were all out, it would look sloppy and it looked like we didn't care. And we didn't care about them. You want people to want to come back and love your brand. So when I was in college, my college counselor, my undergrad was business administration. And she called me in and said, mm, I don't really think business is for you. You may need to pick another major. And I just laughed because not that, trust me, not that I knew everything, but at 19, you think you know everything. So I thought I knew everything, right? But I had learned about supply chain. Look, if you can't get teddy bears to an island before a carnival and you have thousands of eight-year-olds running around upset at you because you don't have the teddy bears, trust me, you learn about supply chain. And then you have to learn about scheduling. And then you have to learn about breaking down a multi-million dollar business in two days. Set it up, Friday it starts, Sunday night it ends, break it down, move it to another place. You know, I had learned 
learned all this in real time. So when I was reading it in the book, I was sort of like, I'm not really sure that that's how it works. Like, what if this happens? So it just wasn't engaged. I felt like I'd gotten a master class right in it already, you know? And so I think that that one story and that entire experience of working for her and working for them for eight years has shaped so much of what I am passionate about and what excites me about business. So I'm forever grateful to them and to the family. And they're both, well, the mom, she's still alive. The father has unfortunately passed away, but I still tell her every time, every chance I get that you completely changed the trajectory of my life. That's beautiful. I mean, it sounds like you actually did your MBA. You just did it real time in person before you even went to undergrad. So I know we're reaching the top of our time with you. I'm curious about what you're working on now. What do you think is important for us to be studying? Yeah, you know, Growth IQ was cathartic for me in a lot of ways. Because I'm not an academic, it was really, I joke that I play one at work, right? But I'm not a writer, I'm a storyteller. I learn from listening and watching, not reading. Tell me a story, I will remember the story. I remember when we met, I remember what we talked about. But if I had read what you said versus seeing you give a keynote, I would not have absorbed as much. It's just the way I learn. And so Growth IQ was a way for me to learn what that was going to look like. But I also realized that I had left out a big part of the power of strategy, which is the people side of business. And that's really where I've spent the last year of digging deeper into this correlation between satisfied and engaged employees and the impact on customer. And then those two things really driving for growth. And I think there's a gap in the market. There's a lot that talk about employee. There's a lot that talks about customer. And then loosely, we'll talk about them together, but what is the value? And so we went out and did some primary research and we found that brands that do that really well in the US, this is a US statement, is 1.8x faster growth rates. So for a billion dollar brand, it's a $40 million impact. We've now blown that out to a global study that has just come back and that'll be launching Q1 of next year. So January of 2022, I'm super excited because it's got me excited to learn and to understand and to be really curious about a new conversation versus something that, you know, it's been 25 years. I've talked about sales and I've talked about marketing. I've talked about customer experience and all very valuable. And I love them still. And I'll talk about them for another 25 years, but this has been a way to get me kind of re-energized about what's going to be next for me. And also these conversations that I get to have with people that are really different than the ones I've had in the past. So I know we're right at the top of our time with you and I've got a ton of questions. So I'd just like to ask you one question. Well, I'm going to put two questions in one, if you don't mind. First is, if you are a strategist sitting in a large enterprise, we really want to get practical. What should that person do next? And then secondly, how can people connect with you and learn from you and keep up with the research that you are releasing? So I'm going to give a little transparent answer on this one. I used to just answer that question right away early in my analyst days. The first two or three years, I would just answer that question. This is what I think you should do. And I really learned that that was probably an absolute disservice because the way I started off Growth IQ was understanding the context. I didn't understand the context. You asked me that question. Like, I don't know the context of your business. Who's your customers? What's your culture? Like, yeah, I didn't know all those things that I would just answer, right? And so now I'm much more intentional about that answer. So my answer now would be, I don't know what you should do next. But what I will tell you is your customers and employees know the answer to that question. And so you have to find a way to ask your customers. Now, the Steve Jobs model is, ah, our customers don't know what they want. So I'm not going to ask them what they want. There's that, right? And the other side of that is, well, don't ask them, what do you want? 
I'm going to give you Salesforce as an example. When the pandemic first hit, Mark Benioff, our CEO, gave us a challenge to have 1 million conversations with customers, not 1 million sales calls, not 1 million demos, 1 million conversations. And in classic Salesforce form, we did 1.5. And now we're almost up to 7 million, but it was captured. We looked for the signals. I know that you will understand what I'm about to say. We uncovered the jobs to be done. I'm just going to give one as an example that everyone was working from home. We knew at some point people were going to have to get people back to the office. And so what in our technology, oh, we have scheduling in our service cloud. We're going to go do a partnership with CVS, going back to sort of competition and partnerships, because we're going to need testing, contact tracing, vaccination. We knew that was going to come down the pipe. How do you get that ingrained now? Scheduling in the office and how do you create cohorts of vaccinated employees and all these things, right? But they were just saying, I have to get people back to the office. They weren't unpacking what does that mean? And so in those conversations, identifying those signals and jobs to be done and how can you satisfy that? And it's not, well, they'll tell me faster horses, right? Or they don't know they want an iPod. You're correct, but that also means you have to become a master asker. And then after you become that master asker, you have to become a master listener. And then you have to be able to communicate back. Okay, employees, we heard this from you. We're going to do these five things because of this. We're not going to do these five things because of that. Okay, customers, we heard you said this to us. This is what we're going to do. Do you think? Do you like? Do you want? And I don't mean focus groups and I don't mean surveys. I literally mean having these conversations, very Tom Peters, right? Management by wandering around. And right now you can wander around much further than you could have in person. And So I would say, back to your question, the answer lies with your employees and customers. You have to ask them, capture it, look for the signals, try it, fail, learn, keep going, right? But I will tell you, after that million conversations, going back to your very first question about strategy, the pandemic hit kind of middle of March. Our year starts February 1st. Our strategy for the year was laid out. Boom, in six weeks, it was completely disrupted. After that, listen to the customer, you know, the million conversations, we reorganized parts of our product group. We opened up 4,000 new recs. We launched six new products, none of which was on our strategy for the year. And so those 7 million, now we've had 6 more million conversations. It's constantly feeding even more so. And I would say that we have definitely doubled down on doing the same in the employee base because of burnout, teaming, hiring. We acquired Slack during the pandemic, onboarding 10,000 new people. Like there was a lot going on. And so equal to both sides. I know I didn't answer it straight on, but if you're listening and you're in strategy, the answer lies with your people and your customers. You just have to be willing to ask them in a safe way and capture that and then be able to action it. I love that. And I love the passion with which you shared it. How can people stay in touch with you? Yeah. So I'm really active on social. Follow me on LinkedIn. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Tiffany underscore Bova on Twitter and LinkedIn. It's Tiffany Bova and Instagram. It's Tiffany Bova and Facebook. It's Tiffany Bova, but I'm really, really active on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I'd love to hear, you know, if you listen to this and you absolutely totally disagree with something I said, please let me know. My role here is almost what I just described to toss out a balloon, see where it floats, listen back and adjust. It's not in stone. So I learned from all of the feedback I get on a regular basis. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing that work for us and for spending the time to share it with us here and in your books and in your work. Thank you for being here, Tiffany. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of Outthinkers.